0: You're listening to In The Making. I'm Martin Lumsden, and in this podcast series, I talk to artists, producers, writers and musicians about their experiences of choosing to make a living out of doing what they love to do. Emily Jacques is better known as singer Minnie Birch, a self-proclaimed writer of sad and dreary music that will leave you feeling happy. Her debut album, Floundering, was released in 2015. I think I remember seeing you saying, right, this is it, I'm going full-time on this now. Is that did I read that right, or is that something you've always thought you were doing full time?
1: Yeah, pretty much because I work still, but I work. I teach some guitar. Mm-hmm. I've got about eight students, um, so actually teaching them and preparing with them that takes a bit of a chunk of time. And I run this project in a prison, and I'd always done those as kind of extra things. The prism being a passion and Mm -hmm. teaching guitar um, has become quite a passion, but started as, like, I need a bit of extra money to make my album. Mm -hmm. But I was working full-time as a children's librarian as well. Mm -hmm. So um, now that I've stopped doing that in November time with an idea of, like, just wanting to change, really. I really loved the Mm -hmm. job. I missed the job. But, yeah, just realising that you can't kind of have everything. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to do too much and not doing anything too well. So I'm still... Earning money from working in the prison and teaching music, but uh-huh. have loads more time for music, music, yeah. which is lovely. And things have like I only finished in November, and things have sort of presented themselves already. Like I've done some songwriting workshops and things, which uh-huh. I never thought I'd be brave enough to do. Uh-huh. And it's it is quite nice to put yourself in that situation with the fear, where you're like I don't, I am going to need to find some money, yeah. you know, to kind of make yourself yeah. do stuff or or be a bit more confident about like maybe asking for expenses or, or mm. kind of valuing what you do a bit more uh, from a financial point of view
0: which sure so do you consider um that play writing and performing is your full-time job or is it perhaps more broadly that music is your full-time job it's a
1: really that? good question because I think since I left work in November I have found it when people ask me what I do I've really found it depends who's asking mm-hmm. kind of what I say. So I think I'm a little bit like having an identity crisis (laughs) with it. Um, But yeah, I tend to just say, yeah, music. I think people often ask, I think most musicians who just perform and do their own music for a living probably get uh, disgruntled by this question. But because Mm -hmm. my answer is yes, it doesn't disgruntle me. But I do find if you say, I work work as a musician, Mm -hmm. people will then follow that with, oh, you're a teacher anyway. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, so so you teach music. uh Um, Because I guess people are aware of the kind of income streams for music mm. and how challenging that can be. Um, so, yeah, I tend to say I'm a musician and I run a little project in a prison. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that prison is so full of stories, isn't it? It incites people's imagination straight away. Sorry. So people tend to ask about that.
0: Is that a distraction?
1: No, because it's such um, such a place full of stories, I think. Mm. Um And, like, without sounding a bit pretentious, it's a place that I've grown up quite a bit because Uh I started there when I was, like, 21. Uh So I've been there, like, over 10 years. Uh So, like, a long time. And I've sort of been working on this project and changed a lot. And so it's had, like, quite an impact on my writing, I Mm -hmm. think. I've met people that I would never have met before. Mm -hmm. Um, But also going from trying to run a charity project and run a full-time job and be a musician... I think if I didn't do... I think I work quite well. Like a lot of people, if my time is limited, Mm. I work harder. I think if I woke up on Monday morning and thought, I've got a whole week to do music... I might watch more telly or yeah. eat more cake. But if you're like, you know, I've got this whole of Wednesdays out because I'm in the prison, I've got to prepare my guitar lessons, mm. then, you know, other things that come up, I think it's nicer because it's still yeah, precious yeah. moments to grab. Yes, yeah, yeah, I really admire people that can work full-time on just their craft, whatever that may be, and just have that discipline to do it.
0: Yeah, I was going to say discipline, I was stretching. What's the word? You need to be quite disciplined yeah. when you... When you haven't got a lot of time, it means you need to be much more disciplined with the time that you mm. have. But as you said, when you've got loads of time, it's like, when it doesn't matter, Yeah, it's harder to just go, well, I'd better get on with it then.
1: Yeah, I work much better, I think, having limited time. But it's taken me a little while, I guess, to kind of adjust, I suppose, to uh-huh. kind of working like a full-time job that was quite like full-on. Uh-huh.
0: So. So do you remember when it was that you thought, oh, yeah, music is is my full-time thing, that's what I do?
1: I don't really. Um, because I think it's when you're on your own, it's quite a hard thing to say as your thing. Mm. I think it's similar to the conversation you were having with Lauren. It's about um, there's an element of arrogance almost that people mm. assume kind of comes with that, So or it's self-worth isn't it because you're essentially Mm. putting a price on like yourself Mm. so it's like quite a hard thing to navigate but I think the decision around it just came from like a big realization that I didn't want to have any regrets Mm -hmm. I think when you're in music you're just surrounded by really inspirational people all the time Mm -hmm. but you will meet like in any walk of life it's not fair to say of just music you will meet a couple of people who it hasn't worked for them because mm. and there's like a whole list of things that weren't their fault that came along that they had to do that have made it hard and I thought I don't mm. want to be that grumpy old lady in a bar that's oh, it's easier for these young musicians I had to do this and I just thought you know what I want to make sure that I can just say I gave this yeah. a good shot I, gave, I put all my energy into it and Uh, loved it and nurtured it and had loads of fun along the way and whatever came of it is what came of it rather than thinking, oh, maybe something more could have come of this if I'd have put more effort into it. Yeah, yeah. so I think I kind of do remember the point where I thought, "Okay, I think I need to make some changes to be a bit happier.
0: I like that that you said about the fun thing. I was speaking about this. A friend of mine who's an artist, we were talking the other day about when you're doing something in the in the creative arts or wherever it might be, and you're doing something but by, by yourself there's lots of things you have to do that go along with that so you you want to create music, you want to perform, but you know there is also the shopping and there's the taking care of stuff It's very easy to fall into thinking of it as a burden rather than as a As they think, no, but actually, no, this is, I love doing this. This is the joy that comes in with this. And Mm. you can quickly start saying, oh, I had a terrible day today because (laughs) the bulbs in the studio started fizzling and breaking and I need to get them all done instead of going, "Yeah." (laughs) (laughs) So what is it that inspired you to start in music in the first place?
1: Um, I think, uh, like a lot of musicians, I've been doing it since I was so little Hmm. or, like, having a passion for it. I can't entirely remember, but... I do know that my sister is a big kind of factor in the fact that I listen to half-decent music. Like, my whole family are really, like, music-obsessed. My parents Mm -hmm. had a big record collection. Um, But my sister, who's just a few years older than me, was really into, like, finding unusual bands and was really into, like, the grunge scene. Mm -hmm. And I just, like most annoying younger sisters, wanted to be like her. Uh So I think I would have probably just remained listening to Kylie Minogue forever, which there's nothing wrong with. But I think the second you become passionate about those kind of bands, the obvious thing to do is to start a band with yeah. your friends in your garage. That's just how that scene worked. Mm-hmm. So that's just what I did from about the age of 11 or 12, wow. which I thought we were quite grown up at the time. But when I see 11-year-olds now, I think that is quite tiny.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love to think back on the like very... Um, emotional things that we were writing about at the time. They seem very serious. Um, but also I already had a guitar um, in the house before my parents got me one. Um, at Christmas when I was about again about 11 or 12, that was my first album. we already had one in instruments because my granddad is really musical I don't know if I've ever bored you with this but he was a George Formby impersonator a pretty really? successful one uh-huh. um, there's quite quite a big scene for that uh-huh. <laughs> um, quite a lot of yeah hardcore fans of mm. George Formby um, so he was yeah very good at that and what he did and he was obsessed with the idea that we should all learn ukulele or banjo so uh-huh. he's got A gazillion grandchildren, actually, were quite a big family. And we all got given a ukulele, I think, possibly when we were born. I don't even remember when I got mine, but, like,
0: really early on. I always get confused with this, actually. Is it because George Formby, I always Mm. thought he played a ukulele. Mm. Is that right, though? Because... Yeah, it is right. Okay, yeah. I think I I I've seen the,
1: pictures of him with a banjo as well, so he must be both. That's maybe yeah. what I'm
0: thinking. Is there and then because I, I don't know these clearly. <laughs> and then there's a banjolele as well. Yeah,
1: yeah. I've, do you know what? If there's anyone who knows an awful lot about them, I've got a really beautiful collection of instruments that my granddad's given me, and I'm not even sure what half of them really are. Uh-huh. Like you know, what their official name is or what they're tuned to. Yeah, they're just very beautiful that he's given me. But I've got a banjolele that he gave me, which is really cute. Doesn't stay in tune it's nice
0: fantastic and you've not been (laughs) tempted to do any George Formby covers um (laughs)
1: I'm not sure how uh, comfortably lyrically they always translate to the modern world um but yeah I did a few I um played a gig in um a care home like Uh an old people's home and I did a few there and it was a really nice gig because um the the guys running it said you know they like you to play a few songs but they like you to chat a bit about who you are and stuff so the second I sort of said you know my granddad used to play um a few George Formby songs, so I would share a few with you. Um, that's all they wanted to talk about was, um, and then they discovered that my granddad was, um, he was a beef eater. So that's, oh, they well. kind of just wanted this whole talk on my granddad. So I just thought I could make a living just doing talks out of my granddad. It sounds, it sounds like
0: it, yeah. I'm, I'm now conscious of going around. I'm not going to keep asking you about your granddad. <laughs> He's an that's interesting what... guy. <laughs> we'll have, have to have a whole other show about your granddad. It would be great. So you're 11 years old and in a band Mm. in your shed and you're playing what?
1: We used to just play terrible songs that we'd written and terrible cover songs of just like Nirvana or whatever bands we were into. Mm. And um, I had a few bands when I was younger that were just friends writing and then I put together a band with my good friends, Alison and Owen, and we were two guitars and a bass. We must have been about... 14 at this time 1415 and um we just used to rehearse in her parents front room um different cover songs different songs about the the tyrannies of being a teenager and um we used to hear drumming from up the road and we just one day got like brave enough to go and knock on the door and be like, Hi, we're a band, we think somebody's drumming in this house <laughs> kind of thing. Oh, I think we knocked on the door and we were like, Oh hi, um, we heard some drumming and this guy's mum was immediately like, I've had a word with him, I'll have another word, it's <laughs> unacceptable we were like, Oh no, we're a band and we met like our, this guy called Andy who became like my best friend, mm. um, and he 's um, really successful in the music business now he manages like rock bands and stuff, but yeah, we like knocked on the door and just said we 've heard you drumming, will you' be in our be in our band." and we went on to be this band called Husk <laughs> I, just, I have no idea why that was our name, it's um, not a bad name. so yeah, the the music scene um, in Watford at the time was just full of really great bands, mm-hmm. and um, there 's a girl who plays in a band. I might mispronounce her name called Dios Mio. Um, called Mm -hmm. Helena, and she's actually doing a documentary about, like, the Watford scene during that, like, era. fantastic. Yeah, because there were so many great bands at the time. Uh It was a really exciting thing to be part of. Well,
0: there's some good people came out of Watford. Yeah. There's uh, um, Simon Le Bon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and George Michael's not from far away, is he? He was down in Bushy, I think.
1: No, I think the big claim to fames are like Jerry Hallowell, Elton John. Elton John. Yeah, right? Say. Yeah. So, but I think the bands were kind of like from that area would have been like, obviously, The Gallows would have been mm-hmm. the big one that came out and, and Shikari and people from yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of, those kind Did of bands. Did they get away
0: with Watford? Did they not more St Albans?
1: Yeah, I think, I'm not sure how far her like documentary is going to spread. I think it mm. might just be. Watford so I think it'll be like six bands like that so I guess we'll have to see when she pulls it all together I'm not sure.
0: Very interesting.
1: Yeah it should be interesting. Um,
0: So what is it about doing what you do that keeps you wanting to do what you do?
1: I don't know, and I've chatted about this with like other like musician friends. So like sometimes, before you're going on stage and you're a bit nervous and you just think, oh, "Why? What am I doing?" Because I don't think I'm naturally like a wanting to be on stage person. Right. Which actually a lot of musicians aren't really, are they? Um, but I guess the only thing I can say is that I just can't be without it. Like, I, mm-hmm. as I say, I grew up as a teenager playing in bands. I was never like the front person. I never used to sing or I used to do a bit of backing vocal. Mm-hmm. But um, as people got older, like went to university and stuff, it just got harder to keep a band together. Mm-hmm. But I just couldn't be without it. So I just started doing it on my own. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just can't be without it. I can't imagine not making music.
0: So it's just... There's, what is there about it that draws you, or is it just not... The absence is more powerful than the draw, is that what you're saying?
1: Maybe. I find music, like, very cathartic. Like, I will listen to, like, very cheesy music or I'm happy to make up a dance routine to a Taylor Swift song or <sighs> listen to rap music loud in my car. But, like, essentially I like to use music, like, cathartically, like, when I'm feeling low uh-huh. or, like, yeah... I kind of lean on music in that way as a listener. So I think it always just makes sense. Like something happened about a month ago, um, which was really upsetting. And I was saying to my song, to, sorry, to my friend, <laughs> <laughs> I just, I can I can feel songs in my fingertips. Like I, I literally need to just go home and write a song. <laughs> so I think <laughs> maybe that sounds a bit pretentious, but I do almost feel like that's how to like yeah, express yeah. like tends to be like dark or uncomfortable things which um yeah isn't really reflective of always me as a person yeah but that's how i use it i think the
0: art that comes out as um has that sense of it yeah um darkness i think i read this great book uh elizabeth gilbert who wrote eat pray love she's written a book called big magic and she tells stories in that about um people I think it's a poet whose name I, whose name I forget. But she said she she um, described the process of um, poems coming to her, like she could she could feel the poem coming towards, her, kind of thundering across the plains. She could feel it coming in the air, and she'd have to literally run home to make sure that she was home with a pen in her hand, with some paper ready to write, so that when the poem arrived, she could actually write it down, because otherwise she'd miss it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely had that, moments where I'm like, I need to sneak off and write this sort of thing down. And I've also had, like... I don't want this to sound sort of weird or pretentious in any way, but I've definitely had, like, songs where I'm not entirely sure what they're about, and then I'm like, oh, I predicted a situation. (sighs) Like, Uh I feel like I've written a song about, I guess, like, sometimes particularly with love, um your subconscious knows that something's going wrong well Mm. before you accept it so I sort of feel like sometimes I look back at songs and I'm like I knew when I didn't even know (laughs) so yeah I think maybe without songwriting Mm. I might have killed more people (laughs) is potentially what I'm trying to tell you
0: (laughs) when you say more More. (laughs) when you say more people uh, how many have you killed
1: (laughs) (laughs) How many have I left wanton and broken? Um, no, yeah, I guess everyone has their, like, thing, don't they? Mm. That they have to, a way of expressing themselves. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe some people just can keep a lid on things in a more normal context. Mm.
0: <laughs> What's the best thing then? Is it similar? What's the best thing about being in music?
1: I love every bit of it. I love writing, performing. I really love recording, but at the end of the day, the, the best thing is the other people, mm-hmm. like, like the friends I've made and the adventures that I've had because of music. And a lot of those have been times when I've driven for two and a half hours to play to one man and his dog in mm-hmm. a sticky bar somewhere. But yeah, as much as music is what it is, and I absolutely love it, if somebody said you have to, what's the thing you value most? It has to be that world mm-hmm. that, is created from making music Yeah, most of my best memories and my best friends like are because of music. So, I think it's that Mm -hmm. that is the best, best thing about it.
0: What's been the high point?
1: Um, High points, like musically speaking, I think that there is just, there is such a joy in those things of like, oh, I've made this album and now I'm like putting it out into the world or I've made this great friend but I think we all kind of strive for those moments of recognition that everyone can understand and I really loved getting my radio play on radio one Mm -hmm. because it sounds silly but you're surrounded so much by people that are in music but then there'll be people in your life maybe work colleagues or your grandma who don't always get when you're like I don't know, you're kind of like, oh my gosh, I'm playing this festival, or I'm opening for this artist or this Mm. person liked my stages on Facebook (laughs) because they're kind of within the music world. But when you can say something that translates because it's kind of that level where... Your grandma gets it like she knows that's a big deal or mm. like your work colleagues can understand that you've worked hard and achieved something. That's really nice to share. So when you get those big things, like when I got the tour support slot with Joan Armour Trading and mm. people were like, oh, I get that. That's it was yeah, nice yeah, to yeah. be able to share that with like a bigger yeah. branch of people. Does yeah, that make yeah. sense for them yeah. to really get?
0: I suppose maybe, maybe this is a harsh thing to say, but I think it takes it out of the realm of hobby yeah for other for other people because otherwise i think especially working in these kinds of areas i think people say is oh, that something that a lot of people do on the side rather than do as the as the main thing, or for yeah. real. So when you when you kind of put it in a context of something, they go, oh, but they're they do it as a proper job. So maybe you're doing it as a proper job. As well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it,
1: even people who are within music, or especially those people, they're bombarded so much with, oh, listen to my track or whatever. Yeah. That if you can, you know, maybe cheaply use one of those things that you've achieved to kind of get them to pay attention somehow. Mm. It just those moments do open doors for, like, other people to hear what you're doing. And it is really nice when people think, oh, OK, I'll click on that link then. Or, And it was kind of similar to what you and Lauren were discussing. It's mm. not necessarily um, arrogant to say what you have done. Mm. It's just a fact. And if that fact can help more people to make a choice out of the bazillion bands online yeah, or whatever yeah. that they're being told to listen to their tracks, then it is nice that more people... I think even even you.
0: for yourself as well, I think it's important to acknowledge what you've achieved mm. with uh, yeah some kind of gratitude and acknowledgement for saying, well I, you know I, I did that because if you don't kind of celebrate your achievements, then what's it for? Mm. Well, that doesn't mean throwing it you know you don't have to shove it in people's faces but... <laughs> get a t shirt <laughs> <laughs> They probably have got them. I've been on Radio One. Um, my
1: brother said, like, the coolest thing to me actually when that happened. He's quite like a level-headed, straight down the line kind of a guy actually, and he said to me, "There's there will always going to be people who are actually much better than you that mm. never get played on Radio One." Mm. And he said, and "There will always be people that are much beeper than you mm. that are going to go on to do so much better than you ever will." Mm. And he was like, "So just do what you do," and I was like. That's so true, because it's humbling and empowering at the same mm. time, isn't it? to just be like, yeah, you're totally right mm. it's whenever you succeed at something, you should revel in that moment, but also be aware of all those factors of luck and timing that go into it. but whenever you're struggling with something, you just have to realize yeah there's there's going to be a million and one people that are you mm. know better for one of their word musicians, and it just hasn't happened for them. There's so much that has to slot into place,, yeah. so just yeah, just kind of enjoy whatever happens yeah, yeah. So he's you said you opinion. said the word
0: struggle there what, what's what, what's what, what what is the struggle if you if you experience the the kind of the hard side of this or the difficult bit of it what's what's has there ever been a point where you thought what the hell am I doing this
1: <laughs> no not really I think that I'm because I'm only just coming into that place where I'm really taking it seriously in a career. Like, I always take my music seriously, but I think that I've always kind of... You have moments where you think, gosh, I've driven quite far for this, or I've done this and it hasn't gone quite well. Um, But I think I'm just quite fortunate to be doing what I do. Mm. Um, And it's such... Where there are struggles, there's such a good community kind of around it so it's like roxanne did that whole like from me to you thing
0: Roxanne de Bastion, yeah, yeah
1: like sh- that whole conference based on let's talk about the issues about streaming or let's mm. talk about like people don't actually know how to distribute their cds and um there's a lot of conversations about women in music yes. and kind of how that can be um and i was just discussing on facebook just the other day like <laughs> Conversation, for one of the better word that I'd had with a sound guy that was quite uncomfortable. So I suppose there's those mm. kind of little struggles, that um, it's kind of part of the part of the fun, part of the drive. I was chatting with my friend Kimberly Black the other day. He's like an actress and a musician, uh-huh. and we were saying that um, it can be quite exciting. Like I was saying to her, like I walk places so much more because I can't afford to put petrol in my car or like I'm eating quite creative things because I can't always afford to buy food um, but those are kind of exciting because they're part of this decision you've made mm-hmm. to like like commit to something you love so it feels exciting but I think when you've had elements of success or you have a lot of people making approaches and going to a certain point with things and then nothing happens, I think you can... And I've definitely had times where you lose a little bit of perspective um, because you've just got your hopes up so high. Mm or You're you're just like, why isn't this... I guess when there's an opportunity, you're excited about that opportunity, but you also see the potential rolling stone of it, like, oh, this is going to gather speed, something will happen here, people will pay attention, and then maybe when they don't, you can feel a bit like, oh, but I think you just have to go back to yourself and be like, I'm doing something that I love. Mm. Um, it isn't meant to be easy. Yeah, yeah. Y- yeah. But I think I'm quite fortunate. I do know other people that have had different struggles with things.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know? I think it's a, and you may, this may not have been what you meant, but I think it's, not, it's good to remember that you're doing something that you love rather than doing something in order to be loved. <laughs> yeah. I, do you know what I mean? How yeah. important is it to get of course you want you want people to like what you do, but that's not fundamentally what's actually important. Mm. Um you've got to like what you do first. Yeah. And then invite other people to like it. <laughs> yeah. And it's okay for them to say no.
1: Yeah. I think mean, you it's, yeah, it's, you're not going to be everyone's cup of tea, are you? Mm. So, And you'll meet people who don't like artists that you really like. So when that happens, you sort of think, oh, OK, maybe I don't need to be too offended if somebody doesn't like my record because there's a human in the world that exists that doesn't like, I don't know, whatever your favourite record yeah. happens to be.
0: That's right. I, I keep coming thinking about that even the biggest selling records in the world, when you think about all the mm. people that there are in the world, it's a tiny, tiny proportion <laughs> that have actually reached... Yeah, and uh, equally there will be as many people, if not more people, who will say, "I hate that," <laughs> and they were the, yeah. they were the ones that liked the most. Hmm. You know, what's that? Adele's the biggest selling um, record last week? I will bet you can find plenty of people who Adele here. Yeah. So, um, it doesn't necessarily matter. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <clears throat> so, what is there on what's next coming up for you?
1: Um, I've got a tour <laughs> in May-June time of like mm-hmm. the UK, which is really exciting. I've done that with the Independent Music Collective, uh-huh. which is a guy called Colin who's been helping me book. He helped me book my tour in Germany at, towards the end of last you've year. You've been in Germany. You've been so, in Iceland recently. As well. yeah, yeah, that was really lovely. Um, so I'm going out with... Um, a few days with different people so I think I've got about a week with Sycamore Sykes um, and then a week with um, No King No Crown which is a guy that I played with when I was in Germany so we're going to bring him over because he's really good and then a week with Zoe Konis so like get to Yeah, travel around and make some music. We've got some good venues. We're playing in, like, a florist, is Uh, one of the places that we're playing. So, yeah, the Independent Music Collective are really good at finding unusual places for you to kind of play and appreciative audiences. They're like quite, he's very creative, the guy that runs all of that for like finding. And another one of those
0: independent, kind of fairly newly established independent support networks that Mm. are really looking out for. Uh, Supporting an independent artist.
1: Yeah, it's it's so lovely that there are those people in the world that want to put on shows or Mm. help bands out. And he was trying to say to me, like, because I'm always like, you know, what can I do? How can I pay you back? Like, this is you know, so much support. And he's always like, he's trying to explain, like, this is just what I love doing. So the way that you'll go out and you'll you'll play gigs and you won't necessarily expect anything or whatever. This is what I enjoy doing. And Mm. I'm like, are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> so, yeah, he's really lovely to work with. But there's, you know, like Helen, Folkstock, all mm. of the stuff she does for people. You're just like, these people are magic. And if you cross paths with them and they like what you do, mm. then you're in a good situation. Definitely.
0: And What are you looking forward to most
1: um, I'm looking forward to getting out and playing because I haven't done that m- in the UK. I haven't done that much of actual touring where you just get out and zone into like gigging live because it's so much easier to pick up odd dates and mm-hmm. stuff. So it will be quite good to just focus on, yeah, music and sharing that with people and meeting people, having calamities and catastrophes along the way. Um, I've been writing loads. I wrote loads when I was in Germany and loads when I was in Iceland. So hopefully when I go around the UK, that'll happen too.
0: Brilliant. So a new album then on the way?
1: Yeah, hopefully. I'm not sure what to do. (laughs) Like, yeah, where to go, what to do or just do an ep and get something out quicker mm. or um but then i forget like not many people in the world have still heard floundering so i'm gonna try on this tour to get that out to more people but then i have such awesome people that support me that i want to that already have that album and it probably feels quite old but mm. i'd like to get something new out to them as well mm-hmm. so i don't know don't know what i'm doing i'm floundering <laughs> <laughs> which is what i often do <laughs> floundering and chatting rubbish that might be what my third album's called, Chang Rubbish.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, I mentioned this guy quite a lot because I, I think I think he's I think he's quite astute a lot of the times. David Hepworth, uh, guy used to be editor of Word Magazine and okay. various other um, Q Magazine, and I think he was involved in Smash Hits. NME, all sorts of That's stuff. That's quite
1: a CV, isn't it?
0: He's got a brilliant CV, and he's quite <laughs> and, he, and he was one of the live link presenters on Live Aid, I believe. Oh, cool! But um, one of the things that he said in one of his articles was the bit of anything that people like the most, whether it's a theatre show or a gig or a film, and they'll never admit to this, but it's true: the people that the bit that people enjoy the most is the end,
1: not the beginning.
0: No. And it's kind of aligned with what you were just saying just now. You know, when, <laughs> yeah. you, when you get to the point where it, when it finishes, that's a bit where you go, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. And if you if you outstay your welcome or if you get the end wrong, that's what mm. leaves people disappointed.
1: I've had that before as well when maybe... Um tends to be at festivals when this happens, when someone's running late or something's going to arrive with the bill and people say, can you just extend your set list? And they'll say it to you when you're on stage and you're like, my set list is a story. I can't just add things at the end. But also, like, people do appreciate, like a moment to, particularly the kind of music I make where Mm. you are listening attentively hopefully because it's quite uh, subtle quiet music they do like a moment to just go to the bar and I think Mm. people are like oh because if we stop the music everyone will leave and I think well not not always actually Mm. sometimes it is nice to have a break because I've had that a couple of times where promoters have always been like just keep on going like the other band aren't here and I'm like Not only do I think people have had enough, but I'm now really scraping the barrel on material, (laughs) giving them my best. Just give give them a bit. Yeah, yeah. No, I quite like
0: that. People people like endings. When I thought about it, I thought, yeah, you're right. There's something about the end of something that's very satisfying. yeah. The In The Making podcast was produced by me, Martin Lumsden, at the Cream Room Recording Studio. You can find us at creamroom.co.uk. To find out more information about the In The Making podcast and to subscribe to future episodes, please go to inthemakingpodcast.com.